Parsha Vayera <coughs> begins with Avram's famous act of hospitality. As the Pasuk reads, Vayera Elav Hashem Be'elonei Mamre. So Hashem appears to Avram Be'elonei Mamre. Mamre became uh, famous uh, for advising Avram somehow with regards to Mila, as Rashi tells us. And and there's Avram sitting there in the entrance to the tent. Rashi enlightens us as to the purpose of this visit. After all, the Pasuk says, Vayera elav Hashem. And Rashi fills in the blank for us, so to speak, and explains. The purpose of this visit was to visit the sick. <coughs> he elaborates, Omar This was the third day after Avram had performed the Mila. The third day is uh, particularly difficult. And Hashem came and inquired after his welfare. So what we see before us, as Rashi uh, informs us from the Medrash, is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu performed the mitzvah of Bikr Cholim. And noting this, <coughs> already interestingly, has halachic implications. We are familiar with mitzvahs in the Torah. In order for something to be considered a mitzvah, the Torah needs to command. One second. As such... A moment. Back again. <coughs> As such, in order for something to be considered a mitzvah, there needs to be a tzivoy. Is Bikr Cholim a mitzvah, we would ask? Is it a mitzvah to visit the sick? Well, of course, our instinctive answer is yes. But if we pursue the matter and ask, well, what is the source in the Torah? Does the Torah ever say, you shall visit the sick? No. It must be uh, subsumed under the rubric of the general mitzvah of of treating others as that you would want them to treat you. And there could be many details and subsets to this. So when a person visits the sick, he fulfills the mitzvah of But now, based on this Rashi, we'll appreciate that he also fulfills another mitzvah. Because there is a mitzvah in the Torah to emulate Hashem's ways. And therefore, all of the things that we find Hashem doing in the Torah, which are acts of kindness, that then informs that this is also part of the mitzvah of emulating Hashem. It turns out that when a person <coughs> is mevaker chole, if a person visits the sick, he, he thereby fulfills two mitzvahs. One could say one is ben adam lachavero and one is ben adam lamakam. Ben adam lachavero is vehapta lerecha kamocha and ben adam lamakam v'holachta bidrachav. And as we know, vehapta lerecha kamocha the Ben Adam Lechaveira visiting the sick can be a very powerful thing. The Gemara goes so far as to say that if you visit someone who's sick and they're happy to see you, that is to say, 
you can actually alleviate some of their sickness. And of course, that can exist on many cosmic and mystical levels. But on a basic level, you, you raise their spirits. <coughs> and that itself can have a, a, a very therapeutic effect on them. And that's what the Gemara describes as taking away some of their sickness. There is a Misa, which I'm very fond of telling with regards to this. Uh, I'm not sure when the last time uh, I mentioned it, but hard, hard to pass it over. <coughs> One of the Rebbers, it is told, and he was collecting for a very worthy cause. And time was of the essence. So he came to town he's, and he, he really only has time for one visit. And so uh, he asks around, <coughs> who has the most money in town? I mean, he's the one that he needs. He doesn't, uh, he can't, he can't really uh, divide his time in that way. So they direct him to the house of a certain person on top of the hill. But he's advised. You, are, you should know this person never gives money to Stockholm. So if you really don't want to waste time, you should probably visit someone else. And the Rebbe said, no. He's the one that I need to visit. So, makes his way uh, up the hill, knocks on the door. So the person gives the, the, the rabbi a, a good reception, shalom aleichem, welcomes him in. And he's sitting there for a minute. And so this uh, rich person says to him, <coughs> may I ask, um, what brings the rabbi here? Because you, I'm sure you will have heard by now I don't give money to stock. So the rabbi said, I'm not here for stock. I'm here for a different mitzvah. He said, really, what, what other mitzvah could you be here for? And the rabbi says, I'm here for the mitzvah of Bikr Cholim. I've come to visit the sick. You are a sick person. I've come to visit you. So he was somewhat uh, uh, taken aback. I mean, to say, he said to a rabbi, I'm actually, you know, thank God, very, very healthy. I'm not sick. Maybe you're making a mistake. <coughs> and the rabbi said, no, you are sick. I'll explain to you how. You see, Koheles, in one of his psukim, as he surveys the world and uh, observes what he observes, he says, I've seen a great sickness in the world. And that is... Osher shamur leba'alav lera'oso. A person's wealth is held by them for no good purpose. <coughs> Shlomo HaMelech says if a person has a lot of money, doesn't know what to do with it, that's a sickness. And the Rebbe said, you have that sickness because you don't know what to do with your money. And that's why I only wanted to come to be mevakachona. So... The Gavir was not exactly out yet. He was a little bit taken aback, but he says, okay, Rebbe, you know, Zolzain, let's assume you're right. <coughs> let's assume that I'm sick. But I'm not the only person sick in town. I mean, there is, unfortunately, there's a hospital which is full of sick people. So how come you chose me to be Mambaka Chola? And the Rebbe said, it's very simple. The Gemara says, when you visit the sick person, you take away a 60th of their illness. He said... I'm not interested in taking a 60th of anyone else's illness, but I want a 60th of yours. <coughs> and with that, he was able to break through where no one else was able to. Either way. Okay, so we get back to, to the Rashi at hand. And once again, the Pasuk says, Hashem appeared to Avram. And Rashi says, it was Levakar Sachole.
for purposes of Pikacholim. And we ask the question that we always need to ask when we look at Rashi, and that is, why does Rashi feel the need to comment? After all, this is not the only time Hashem appears to Avram. He's appeared to him beforehand. He will appear to him later on. Rashi never comments. It is only on this occasion Rashi feels the need to tell us what the visit was about. And that leads us to ask, Manishtana, her visit Hazem, you call her visits. Why is here specifically Rashi um, feel the need to enlighten us and fill in the blank, so to speak? <coughs> the answer, it would seem, is very straightforward. Because this is the only occasion where the Torah doesn't say what the visit was for. I mean, it just says Hashem appeared to him. And that's it. And nothing else. <coughs> On all other occasions, it says Hashem appeared to Avram and told him such and such. And later on, Hashem appeared to him and said the following. This is the only time we appeared to him and that we don't have any message. And that's why Rashi needs to respond. So in all other cases, it's self-explanatory. But here, it's a mystery. What's the visit for? <coughs> and the answer, says Rashi, is the visit is the visit itself. That's the purpose. Because it was for for the, the goal of Bikur Cholim. So this is the simple and straightforward explanation, once again, to put it into one sentence. Why does Rashi feel the need here, and only here, to tell us what the visit was about? Because the Pasuk doesn't say. So it, 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 begs, it begs the question, and Rashi provides the answer. <coughs> As we know, foremost among the commentators of Rashi, and there were many, dozens, if not hundreds, in fact, hundreds of commentaries on Rashi, foremost amongst them is Rabbeinu Eliyahu Mizrahi. And the Mizrahi, he cites this explanation, which we've just mentioned, and the Mizrahi said, that is not the reason why Rashi said what he said. It looks like the reason, but it isn't. And the reason why, <coughs> says Mizrahi, is because if our question, if the question that's bothering Rashi is, it says Hashem appeared to Avram, but then doesn't say what he said, that might not be necessarily true. That might not be accurate. Because if you look later on in the Parsha, you will find, and this is still in chapter 18, Perik Yudches, <coughs> Hashem starts talking to Avram, Pasuk, Kaf, he starts talking to Avram about Sodom. The outcry from Sodom is very great. I'm going to go down and see what's happening there, which initiates Avram into the negotiations. If there's 50 people, 45 and 40, and, and etc. and so forth. There's room to say that that communication was the purpose of the visit. Now, in case you're wondering, and should we ask, well, if that's the purpose of the visit, why is it deferred 20 psukim? away. But the answer to that Rashi's given us. Because Avram interrupted the visit to go and deal with his guests. <coughs> the timeline is Hashem appears to him, but then Avram sees his guests and he puts Hashem on hold, so to speak. Please stay there. I'll be right back. Which teaches us that receiving guests is greater than than receiving the divine presence. That's what, that's what uh, the Gemara says, whatever that means. <coughs> but what we do see is that the meeting was interrupted. Avram's meeting with Hashem was interrupted, which means 
we might not find out what the meeting was about until the interruption is over, which means until the guests have gone. And when they do, so then Hashem could be finally able to tell Avram what he appeared to him in the first place to tell him. So it's a very interesting situation because it's such an appealing answer. There's a visit with no content, but the Mizrahi says that's not true. The content was, was pushed off for 20 sukim, but that could still be the content. And therefore that can't be the reason why Rashi said it was to visit the sick. So we are in the uncomfortable position of having had uh, a seemingly sound answer confiscated by the Mizrahi which leads us to the question, so then why? Why does Rashi comment? <coughs> and the answer says the Mizrahi, interestingly, is staring us in the face. We go back to verse 1. Perik Ches, Pasuk Aleph. How does it begin? Vayera elav Hashem. Right, what does that mean? Hashem appears to Avram. I think that's a fair translation. Actually, it is not accurate. It's not fully accurate. Because the accurate translation of Vayera Elav Hashem is not Hashem appeared to Avram. It's Hashem appeared to him. Hashem means Hashem. But Elav doesn't mean Avram. Elav means to him. Now, of course, should we ask the question, well, who is he? And the answer is obviously Avram. But we're now in a much more difficult situation. Why? Because it, it's never correct to open a parsha with a pronoun. Hashem appeared to him. That's not, that's not good form. The Torah never does that. <coughs> How many parshas do we have in the Torah where it says, Vayidaber Hashem el Moshe Lemor? You've got to start your section detailing who the people are, who the, the, pro, the proper nouns are. Hashem. And Moshe. Okay, once you've done that, you can say, He spoke to him. But you can't start by saying him. That's a bit of a disturbing observation. And this, <coughs> this is exactly what our Parsha does. It says, Instead of saying, Pardon me, Hashem. Hashem appeared to him. And not, Interesting Shiloh. What's the answer? The answer, says Mizrahi, is every pronoun sends you back to the most recently mentioned noun. If the Torah unusually starts with the word Elav to him, it's because it wants you to go back to when Avram was most recently mentioned. Why? Because then you'll find out what the visit was about. What is the most recently mentioned Parsha? If we go back to the end of Lech Lecha, it's the Mila. And that's why our Parsha begins, Hashem appeared to him. And him meaning, of course, Avram. Avram as mentioned when? In the Parsha of Mila. But why does it want to link the beginning of our Parsha with the end of last week's Parsha? Because that's what the visit was about. It was because of the Mila. Avram is, is ailing, Avram is unwell, <coughs> recovering, let's say, and Hashem comes to meet him. And so, uh, a very, very elegant, and it's chinuch, we see the attention that the Mefarshi Rashi uh, pr- uh, give to every word of Rashi, that itself is, is also something to be mindful of. So, we spoke a little bit about the first Rashi. Avram does see guests, and he moves on to 
invite them. And that's in Pasuk Gimel and Dalit. Vayomar, he says, well, uh, let, let's go to Pasuk Dalit. Yukachnam Atmaim, he, he entreats them, I'll take some water, Vrachatsuraglechem, you wash your feet, Vishanu Tachasa eats, and uh, rest and recline under the tree. I'll take some bread. And uh, eat to your heart's content. After all, that's, what, that's, why, that's why you're here, surely. And they said, Yes, yes, do as you said. It's very interesting. If, you, if we just look at their response, it's a little bit uh, striking. In the sense that here is Avram, clearly going out of his way to offer them hospitality. There's a way to receive an invitation. Uh, there's something called being a good guest. This has to be the most businesslike acceptance of any gesture of hospitality in history. It's, a, it's possibly even a little off-putting. If someone says, I'll do the following, I'll do the following, I mean, we could, you could try it. Say, yes. As you said, do. Wow. They will probably will never offer again. And that's what these malachim are saying. But it's such, a, it's such an abrupt, a blunt, almost. King, yes, do as you said. Okay. Wouldn't hurt to say thank you. So what's it all about? So the Al-Sheikh HaKadosh explains, and we see again always the attention to detail that, that is the trademark of the Al-Sheikh, is that Avram, he, he has a, his own type of detailed invitation. What does he say? He says, We'll take some water. What Avram is looking to do in this invitation is to anticipate any reason that these guests might have for refusing his invitation. And there could be <coughs> any number of reasons why a person might refuse an offer for hospitality. Uh, for good reason. For example, it could be that uh, he doesn't want to trouble the host, which in this instance makes perfect sense. Avram clearly is not looking at his best. He's clearly putting himself out. Maybe they don't want to, him, to, to, him to put himself out. Maybe they would refuse, that so he shouldn't trouble himself. <coughs> Maybe they don't want to put him through any type of, ex- of expense. And maybe they're in a hurry. Sometimes, if people are going in a certain direction, it's because there's a certain place that they'd like to get to. And maybe they need to get there now. Maybe they don't, they don't have the time to, uh, to stop and have a meal, etc. And therefore, what Avram is doing, as they would say in Yiddish, he, he is bevorning. He is anticipating and trying to cater for any reason that they might refuse. And that's why he, he, he speaks so minimally. He says, Don't worry. No one will trouble themselves on your behalf. We'll take a bit of water. <coughs> what else does he say? We, we won't even... You, there's a tree there. You can sit there if, if you're comfortable there. We won't even have to get the place ready for you. You're not putting anyone out. And moreover... 
He says, It's no expense. I'll take a bit of bread. That's not really very expensive. And then he says, Achar ta'avoru. You see in, in, uh, in verse 5, Achar ta'avoru means, after that you can go. And we should know further, <coughs> and this we've, we've noted, Rashi mentioned this a couple of times, there are two ways or two words for the Torah uh, to say afterwards. There is achar and there is achare. You have, for example, achar hadvarm ha'ele and achare hadvarm ha'ele. What is the difference between achar and achare? Well, Rashi says that there's two types of afterwards. There is immediately afterwards and there is a long time afterwards. What's known as samuch, immediately afterwards, or muflag, a good while afterwards. Achar means straight away afterwards. Achare means a long time afterwards. And in fact, the Radak says in the beginning of Sefer Yeshua <laughs> that achare is very simply the plural of achar. Like anything else, like yad is a hand and yaday is a hand. So achar means the after something, and achare is afters. Because it's a bunch of afters, because it's a, it's a good while afterwards, it's not straight away. So it's interesting that Avram himself is saying, Achar Ta'averu means, if we, if we plug that into our Pasuk, he's saying, uh, have something to eat, and then, and then leave straight away, which itself sounds very interesting. Why would, if, when you extend hospitality, you say, stay as long as you like. Sometimes that proves to be a mistake <laughs> to offer uh, such a thing. But uh, here he's saying the opposite. He's saying, have something to eat and then leave straight away. But what he's saying is, I won't hold you up. If you need to be on your way as soon as you've had some refreshments, you don't need to stay on my behalf. But what Avram is doing the whole time here is he's impressing upon his guests that they are not putting them, him, him out in order to give them hospitality says the Al-Sheikh, and now you understand why these guests, who are Malachim, but unbeknownst to Avram, these guests, they say, Cain, ta'aseka asher dibarta. Yes, do as you said. In other words, <coughs> what they're saying is, we do accept, but we feel bad to put you out. So if you're telling us that it will only be a minimal thing, so then we accept. But be sure, be sure to do it as you said. And not to add anything else. That's why they say Cain Taase Kaasher Dibarta. Well, once they'd accepted, of course, that was just the beginning, and it was a whole lavish feast, etc. Once you're in, not so easy to leave. But uh, but we see how carefully the Al Sheikh is, is looking at the Psukim and how carefully he is encouraging us to look at the Psukim, uh, Abraham's invitation and their acceptance thereof. I'd like to, to move from the beginning of the parsha to a section a little bit uh, deeper in, and that's in Perik Kaf Aleph. It's actually the laning for Rosh Hashanah morning, for the first day of Rosh Hashanah. And the, the laning for the first day of Rosh Hashanah is Vashem Pakadah Sarah. It's about uh, Hashem remembering Sarah. I saw, actually, in one of Rabbi Yitzhak Zilberstein's uh, Svarim, hard to say which one, if you don't make a note of it, it's, it's Botol B'Shishim, but he mentions <coughs> that you have the, the, the laning on the first, the first day is, is chapter 21 of Vayera, Hashem remembered Sarah, etc. And then on the second day, it's the Akedah. 
And it's very interesting that Akedas Yitzhak, which is this, it doesn't get bigger than Akedas Yitzhak, that's for the second day of Rosh Hashanah. But the first day, it's hard even to understand <coughs> what is the goal of the, of the laning on the first day. I mean, we, we so intuitively relate to the Akedah as a Rosh Hashanah event, and yet somehow there is also, that's, that's day two, and day one is Vashem Pakodasara. And as Zilberstein said, it's very simple. We're looking for merits on Rosh Hashanah, and we pull out all the stops. Meaning what? Schus avos and schus imahos. We don't often talk about schus imahos, but the truth is, come Rosh Hashanah, you take everything you can get. You do not err on the side of caution. And more, and interestingly, by the way, Rav Leib Hyman Zatzal explained that in the in the end of Pesukei de Zimra, <coughs> after Hamelech, when we say Befi Yisharim, Tzadikim, etc., so as we know, that lists that lists Yitzchak, Yisharim, Tzadikim, Chasidim, and Kedoshim, is Yitzchak, and the others, the Tisramam, etc., only on Rosh Hashanah, <coughs> they're actually rearranged to say Rivka. Once again we see that we, we are making a point of accessing for every Av that we access, also Tzchosimahos. And the same is true for Rachel. She's, that's the Haftarah for, for, the, for the second day of, of Rosh Hashanah. Is Rachel, Rachel, Mavakal Banea, etc. And therefore says of Zobistin, day one, day one, Tzchosimahos. Vashem Pelkadasara. Day two, is the Akeda. It's an amazing way of seeing how the, the laning accompanies us. And, and, and Rav Hyman says this, person always looks to their father for guidance and help, etc. At the time of crisis, they call for their mother. And that's really what's happening on Rosh Hashanah. Schus Imoz comes first. But she has Yitzchak, and um, <coughs> she notices, the Pasuk says, Pasuk Tess, that uh, Yishmael is not behaving as he should be. And he's actually becoming a, a kind of a bad influence on Yitzchak, if not worse. So where is that? Perak Kaf Aleph. Pasuk Tes. Vateresora. Es ben hoga ha mitzvis. Avram mitzachet. She sees Yishmael mitzachet. Mitzachik literally means, or on a simple level means, he's laughing, he's joking, whatever he's doing, it's no good. And she, and she decides, and Sarah often, at the risk of oversimplifying, but it is, it is generally true, she is, she is the one who's, who, who, who makes a certain tough decisions when it comes to who needs to go. And she says, Goresh HaMah You've got to get rid of her, of Hagar and her son. I, I, I am not prepared. That's the simple understanding. I, am, I will not I have it that, that he, Yishmael, will inherit together with Yitzhak. Amazingly, Pastor Yud Aleph says, Avram, it was hard for Avram. He, did, he didn't like it. I mean, it, because of, of Yishmael, Alodos Beno. He was very reluctant to, to, to let Yishmael go. But Hashem says, no, you've got to do it. It doesn't matter whether you, you agree or not. You've got to do it. 
Do not feel bad about this. Kol asher tamar elecha Sarah shema bikola. Whatever Sarah says, listen to what she says. Interestingly, and we've mentioned this in the past, but again, you see how the dimensions of Lashna Kodesh uh, open up. <coughs> this is not the first time that Hagar says to send someone away, and it's not the first time that Avram listened to her. In last week's parsha, she sent she sent Hagar away. Pardon me. In, la- in last week's parsha, she told Avram, "I'm not having children. I need someone else in order to get things going." And Avram listened to her and married Hagar. So we have Avram listening to Sarah twice in these two parshas. The first with regards to marrying Hagar, the second with regards to sending her away. And the Pasuk says he listened to her twice. But it doesn't say it in exactly the same way. In last week's parsha, when he uh, married Hagar at Sarah's instigation, it says, Vayishma Avram lekol ishto. He listened to the voice of his wife. In this week's parsha, Hashem says, whatever Sarah tells you, tells you to do, Shema Bekola. That's very interesting. <coughs> you have Avram listening Likol Sarah and listening Bekol Sarah. What is the difference between listening with a Lamed and listening with a base? An interesting Shaila. The Malbim addresses this question and of course as is his way, he then takes us on a tour of Tanakh to show exactly how it expresses itself and plays out in different situations. But for our purposes, the idea is there's two ways to listen to someone. You can listen to someone in the sense that you hear what they have to say. And that's it. It doesn't mean you'll do what they say. But you have heard them. You've given them a hearing. That's one type of listening. And it, in its own context, it's, it's perfectly good. But there's another type of listening where you, where you heed them, you follow them, you listen to what they say in the sense that you do what they say. It's a different type of listening. And these are the two types that are denoted by lishmoa likol and bikol. The letter lamed means two. It denotes a certain distance from A to B. And therefore, Lishmoa Likol means they're over there, you're over here, you're listening, but you're your own person. You'll make up your mind afterwards. Maybe yes, maybe no, but you have listened. That's called <coughs> Lishmoa Likol, with that distance denoted. Lishmoa Bikol, the letter base means inside. It's like you're subsumed within them because whatever they say, you listen in the sense that that's what you do. How do we see this express itself with Avram? Because the first time when Sarah said, I'm not having any children, maybe you should marry Hagar, <coughs> Avram, he heard it and he thought it was a good idea. She's not telling him that he has to do anything. But he actually agreed. And therefore that's called Likol. In other words, he heard and concurred and then, and then uh, married Hagar. That's called Lishma Likol Ishto. In our Parsha, we see explicitly that he did not think that what Sarah, her, her idea was a good idea. The Pasuk says he thought it was a bad idea. And Hashem said, it doesn't matter what you think. Whatever Sarah says, Shema Bikola, means you have to follow what she said regardless. Because in this instance, she is right. So you see again, uh, the, the, the shift of a letter between a Lamed and a base is two different worlds in terms of uh, what it means to listen. And of course, we know ourselves, <coughs> there's, there's, there's many different types of, of listening. They've only added uh, them as time goes on, active listening, proactive listening, and so on and so forth. Um, 
I think the latest is uh, the, the listening is so proactive they actually don't give you a chance to say anything. But everyone means well. <coughs> so there's a famous Rashi here when Hashem says to, to Avram, whatever Sarah says, Shema Bekola. Well, let's start with Pasukut Aleph. It says, <coughs> The matter is very difficult for Avram. Al on account of his son. There's room to say that those three words, al odos beno, are possibly somewhat redundant in the sense that we know that we're talking about sending, sending away Yishmael. She says, you've got to send away Yishmael, but it was difficult for Avram. Why? Because of his son. Presumably that's self-understood. So why does the Pasuk emphasize al odos beno? When Hashem says to Avram, Whatever Sarah says, listen to her. Rashi says, famous Rashi, uh, in some circles, very famous. <coughs> we learn that Avram was actually secondary to Sarah in prophecy. In other words, she had greater powers of prophecy than Avram, which is uh, very noteworthy. Listen, as Siv explains, she had more time to develop prophecy because she was a bit more in the private setting. Avram is in the public eye the whole time. For whatever reason, be the reason, whatever it may, you see Hashem says to, to Avram, she says the Hagar and Yishmael need to go. You think that's a bad idea, but you know what? She's right. What do we learn from here? Her prophecy is greater than your prophecy. On what basis did, did, did Sarah say, <coughs> that Yishmael needs to go. It says that she saw that Yishmael was mitzachek. If you look at Rashi's explanations on the word mitzachek, it will make your hair stand on end. Says Rashi, loshen avodas kochavim, idolatry. And he brings the pasuk, gile arayas, immorality. Loshen ritzicha, it's murder. In other words, this term metzachek is basically a euphemism for the worst crimes that are possible. But, and, Rashi, and that's what Rashi says. Now, other Mepharshim may say differently, but Rashi sees fit to quote this from the Medrash. So, so now the Shaila is, what type of Ruach HaKodesh do you need to say, this is a bad influence on my child? I mean, what does he need to do in order for a normal person to see it? It's on whatever level this is happening. There's uh, there's idolatry and uh, a riot and there's there's murder, and and Sarah says I think Yishmael should go, and Rashi says Wow, that is superior level Lashon Ruach Hakodesh. I mean that's that's prophecy. That's not prophecy. That's that's a, that's a, a, an open set of eyes. If it was something hidden, you'd need prophecy. But if we take Rashi at face value, what type of prophecy do you need? <coughs> These questions are all leading us to a, a classic comment, which is actually made by the father of the Hassam Sofer. And what's very noteworthy about this comment is that, as far as I know, this is the only place where the Hassam Sofer quotes something in the name of his father. It's from his Chidushim, I think it's Daphnun Allah from Nun Beis. And this is what he says. This, this is what Reb Shmuel Schreiber, the son of uh, the, the father of the, the Chazam Sofer, says. 
Because the Gemara there says that sometimes a person may have a children and one of the children is uh, not really acting properly and he might be tempted to divert. Maybe that person could be the firstborn or, or equal one of the children and he might be diverted, you know, pardon me, tempted to, to divert the inheritance from, from that child as if to say, to exclude him because his behavior is not up to par. Says the Gemara, never do that. Why? Because although this child, let us say, until further notice, is not acting uh, correctly, but what about his children? You never know. You never know at some point down the line, right? That the money will go through him to his children, etc. And they could be okay. And you don't know. It's unknown. And because it's unknown, leave things as they are. That is Shmuel's advice in Maseches Ksubis. That's very interesting, because that seems to be exactly the situation as we have before us. Why? Sarah says Yishmael is acting <coughs> horrifically. Send him away. Disenfranchise him. Cut him off. There's just one thing. Maybe Yishmael, maybe you, you, know, you can see that Yishmael is, is not acting correctly. But Avram was reluctant to do it. Why? Look again, says Reb Shmuel Schreiber, at Pasuk Yud Aleph, verse 11. Avram. Avram thought it was not a good idea. Why? Al Odos no, on account of his son. Whose son? So we understand that, the, that it's Avram's son, Yishmael, but that seems to be obvious. The whole thing is about Yishmael. But Reb Shmuel says no. Avram says, okay, Yishmael's not acting correctly, but what about his son? Isn't that what the Gemara says? That even if this son currently, but what about his own children? And therefore, Avram doesn't want to send Yishmael, cut him off, because what about his son? al odos Bano. And then Hashem appears to Avram and says, Sarah's right. Sarah's right, meaning it's correct to cut him off. Because not only is is he acting incorrectly, and for that, you don't need prophecy. It's right in front of you. You're not going to get much nachas from his sons either, or his grandsons. There isn't really anyone waiting as a worthy recipient for this. That's all in the future. Okay, enter Navua. That's when it becomes of the essence that Sarah's powers of Navua were greater than Avram. She looks into the future, <coughs> and she sees... Not only is Ishmael currently acting in, in, incorrectly, none of his anacles or, 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 or their descendants are really going to make it worth keeping them in the inheritance. It's quite a thing to say. It's quite a payrush. I think uh, we might add, we, we, we're waiting for someone to prove Sarah wrong, but uh, it doesn't really seem to be that forthcoming. Um, and that's Rup Shmuel Schreiber's uh, comment as Again, the, the only comment uh, cited by his son, uh, the Chassam Sofrin, is Chidushim to Maseches Kesubos. Well, <coughs> Hagar is sent away, and then she, she gets a message. And the message is from, a, from an angel. And let's have a look that we're still in Perak Kafal of chapter 17, pardon me, chapter 21, verse 17. Which says, Vayishma Elokim es kol hanar. Hashem hears the, the, the lad, that's Yishmael, Vayikra Malach Elokim el Hagar mina shamayim. 
and he calls to Hagar from heaven and says, Don't worry, Al-Tiri'i. Hashem has heard his voice and, and then she sees a well and, and, and then it all works out. Um, that's Pasuk Zion. It seems, I mean, it's relatively straightforward in terms of understanding the words. Obviously, it was a big Chiddush, but what's the problem? Meshachachma raises an interesting shayla. This is not the first time that Hagar has had interaction or a conversation with a malach. Once again, we've seen this in last week's parsha. She ran away, and when she ran away, again she met a malach, and he says, no, go back, and... Aha. So, <coughs> the way that the conversation is introduced in our Parsha is very different than last week's Parsha. In last week's Parsha, the Pasuk says, it's in, in uh, Perik Ted Zion, Pasuk Tes, Hashem. An angel of Hashem found her by the spring. Now, whatever it means for an angel to find someone, at the very least, what it means is that there was an encounter. He, he found her, in other words, and they had a meeting. It's a very, it shows a certain proximity. And, that, and therefore, our Pasuk is very interesting, meaning the Pasuk in our Parsha, <coughs> because it makes a point of saying that this week, the angel called out from her from heaven. He did not come down to meet her. He did not come down to find her. It's, a, it's long distance in this week's Parsha. And the question is, what changed? We assume that if Hagar speaks to an angel, the, the, whatever channels exist, they, they exist and could be, could be reused. Last week was a meeting. This week was a long distance call from heaven. We assume it wasn't collect. What's the difference between them? Says Meshachachma, you know what changed? Between these, between these two episodes, Hagar changed. And you can see it. How so? In last week's Parsha, Hagar has issues with Sarah. But the angel says, go back. Go back to Sarah. What that means is, in last week's Parsha, Hagar yet has an affinity for living and being living in Sarah's house, household and has some type of affinity for, for her way of life. <coughs> and that's expressed itself in the fact that when an angel talks to her, he comes to meet her. She yet is on a level where she can have a meeting with an angel. Obviously, everything is relative. But, but things have changed this time around. Because in this week's Parsha, she's not going back to, to Sarah. She has burned her bridges with Sarah. She's, she is fundamentally now incompatible with Sarah's way of life. And when everything works out, she doesn't go back to Sarah. She goes back to Egypt. She's cut ties with Sarah and with Sarah's way of life. And you can tell. Because even if there's a message for her, but no angel is meeting her this time around. If it's a message, it comes from long distance. It comes from afar. So, so <coughs> the, the, the echus, the atmosphere of how the message gets to her, in a sense, is a, is a meter of, of how Hagar is doing. She's gone down a little bit, and, and so does the mode of communication. Very interesting comment. And again, so typical of of Meshachachma, to notice something like that. How does the angel speak to her in last week's Parsha? How does he speak to her in this week's Parsha? And, what's also typical of the Meshachachma, is he hasn't finished yet. He's actually just starting. 
Because if we bear in mind, <coughs> we've just noticed an angel calls from heaven, it means the person's gone down a little bit. They don't deserve an actual meeting. Is there anyone else who's called from heaven in this week's Parsha? There is. And it's a little unexpected in terms of our, our discussion so far. It's Avram. At the time of the Akedah, have a look at Peret Kaf Beis, Pasuk Yud Aleph. <coughs> Peret Kaf Beis, Pasuk Yud Aleph. What happens? Avram is about to, uh, to go through with the Akedah for Yitzhak. And Pasuk Yud Aleph says, Vayikra elav malach Hashem min hashamayim. An angel calls to him from heaven and says, Avram, don't do it. So now we're, we're, we're a little confused. We just saw that Hagar at her best, when she was Bemetava, when she was doing okay, an angel would come to meet her. When she went downhill, so then an angel calls from heaven. Here's Avram, never better. But the angel calls him from heaven. Where does that distance come from? That's an interesting shayla. Says Meshachachma. <coughs> you know, the Medrash states that for purposes of the Akedah, Hashem bestowed upon Avram the status of Kohen Gadol. Interesting. After all, for whatever is officially meant to happen in terms of the Akedah experience, he will be officiating over a korban. And thus, uh, we know, of course, in the end it didn't happen. But in terms of what was in the offing, he's got to, he's got to be a Corbin. <coughs> he needs to be a Kohen. If it's going to be a Corbin, he has to be a Kohen. So Meshachachma says, you know, maybe. But why does he have to be a Kohen Godel? I mean to say, most Kohanim are able to do Korbanos just being a normal Kohen. But why does the Medrash make a point of saying that he became a Kohen Godel? And the answer says... Meshachachma is because the more you realize what the Akedah was, the more you see how it was a type of thing that only the Kohen Gadol can do. <coughs> when do we ever have that insistence that only the Kohen Gadol can, can, can be the one involved? When he's in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, when he's in the Holy of Holies, like on Yom Kippur. He's only in the Kodesh HaKadoshim once a year on Yom Kippur. But the Gemara says there are certain things which they're like being in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. The principle of Ein Kategor Nase Sanegor, the prosecution can never be the defense, only exists in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. That's where the Kohen Gadol doesn't wear gold when he's in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. It shouldn't arouse <coughs> uh, accusations for the, for, the, for, the, for the golden calf. Where else do we see this idea? The prosecution cannot become the defense. A shofar cannot come from the, the horn of a, of a cow or a calf because that's the prosecution. We're looking to use the shofar for defense, but the calf will once again arouse his prosecution of the eagle. So it's got to be a, a ram's horn or any, almost anything else, but not a cow's horn. But the Gemara says, but, but you're not in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. You're blowing the shofar in shul or at home or somewhere. Why do we apply Kodesh HaKadoshim rules if they only apply in the, in, in, in the Holy of Holies? <coughs> Why do you apply this principle to a shofar which is outside? And the Gemara says, famous words, Kevandalizikoron osi. 
since it's coming to arouse the memory of the Jewish people, kibifnim domi. It's like inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Anything <coughs> that has the unique property of arousing the remembrance of the Jewish people, zikaron, inside. It's like the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Says Meshachachma, what does the shofar arouse the remembrance of? Of the Akedah. So, so if the thing that reminds of the Akedah is like being in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Akedah itself all the more so. And that's why, <coughs> in order to perform the Akedah, it's not enough for Avram to be a Kohen. He needs to be a Kohen Gadol because he is effectively simulating Kodesh HaKadoshim conditions. So, the Pasuk states, No one is allowed to be in the Kodesh HaKadoshim when the Kohen Gadol is doing the Avodah. Any Adam has to be outside. And there is an amazing Yerushalmi in Maseches Yuma. And that is not only does every person need to be outside the Beis HaMikdash, but even those about whom it is said, Ufneihem kepnei Adam, their face is like the face of man, which is a reference to Malachim. That's from the Novi Yecheskel. People cannot be, in the, it cannot be there when the Kohen Gadol is doing his Avodah, and even angels can't be there. So, says Meshachachma, so now you understand why when the angel wanted to send Avram a message not to do the Akedah, he had to call him from afar. He had to call him from on high. He could not come to meet him because the level that Avram was on at that time precluded the presence of anyone, even a Malach. And this, <coughs> now in a sense, brings us, one could say, full circle. In other words, you have two people who are called from heaven in this week's Parsha, Hagar and Avram. They're both called from heaven for opposite reasons. Hagar because of the level to which she had descended and Avram because of the level to which he had ascended. Hagar because of what she had lost and Avram because of what he had attained. For Hagar, she, she was no longer eligible to have a meeting with, <coughs> with a Malach. But when it comes to Avram, it's the Malach who was not capable of meeting with Avram. So these are the, the fascinating comments of Meshachachma. It's very simply a different way of learning Chumash altogether, literally uh, a, new, a new dimension. Let us just conclude by referring to a well-known Medrash, and it relates to Avram who renames the place <coughs> after the Akedah, as the Pasuk says, let's just find the Pasuk here, Pasuk Yudalit. Perek Kafbeis, Pasuk Yudalit. Vayikra Avram Shem HaMakom Hahu Hashem Yir'eh. Avram called the place Hashem will see. Hashem Yir'eh. And there's a, a wonderful comment <coughs> of the Medrash Breshis Rabba that Avram's, that Avram's renaming had reverberations not only for that place, but way beyond. How so? The Medrash discusses the origins of the place that we call Yerushalayim. As we know from last week's Parsha, it wasn't always called Yerushalayim. Because when Avram goes to war in Perig Yudalad, he is met, with, met by Malkit Tzedek. 
Malkitzedek Melech Shalem. Malkitzedek, the king of Shalem. Says the Gemara, pardon me, says the Medrash, <coughs> gracious rapper, initially the city was called Shalem. As it says, Malkitzedek Melech Shalem. And the Medrash seems to understand that it was Malkitzedek who gave it that name. But then Avram came along and he called the place Hashem Yir'eh. Hashem will see. <coughs> and now, says the Medrash, Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so what am I going to call it? Am I going to carry on calling it Shalem? Avram called it Yireh. It's not right to exclude his name. Okay, so maybe, so maybe we'll just call it Yireh. But that's also not right. Because Malkit said it called it Shalem. So Hashem amalgamated the two names of Yireh and Shalem to become Yerushalayim. That is the Medrash. Ve'ein ha-Medrash hazeh omer ela darsheni. The Medrash <coughs> requires understanding. What difference does it make? I mean, whatever its name is, that's what its name is. A person's going to feel bad. They suggested a name. It wasn't used. I mean, we're, that's not the caliber of people that, that, we're, that we're talking about. And ultimately, what, this, what the question boils down to is, what is the meaning of calling the place Shalem? And what is the meaning of calling the place Yir'eh? And then ultimately, what is the meaning of combining them? <coughs> Says the Vilna Gaon in his commentary to Shira Shirim, Perik Zion, Posik Aleph. <coughs> Avram, we know, came onto a world where people may have had a sense of uh, Hashem as, as a creator of the world, they didn't see him as much involved in the world. Perhaps they, they thought uh, no one was involved in the world, or more likely they saw that the other uh, entities were, had been set up as deities, and that's, and that's Avodah Zarah. <coughs> that's why the Gemara says, from the, from the time the world was created, no one called Hashem by his name until Avram, which is interesting, because we happen to know that that's not true. Uh, uh, Noah says, Baruch Hashem, Elokei Shem, and uh, etc. You see in the Pasuk that, that you have others before Avram calling Hashem's name. Says the Tosfus, yeah, but the, <coughs> but the name they used is Yudke Vavke. The point of the Gemara is that Avram was the first one to refer to Hashem with Aleph Dalet Nun Yud, which is a name of mastery. The name of Yudke Vavke, what's called the Shem Havaya, is Hashem as, as bringing things into existence. And people recognize that, that <coughs> but they had no sense of ongoing involvement. Avram introduced the idea of referring to Hashem with the name of Adon. He's the master and he runs the world. Not just gave Havaya, creation to the world, and existence to the world, but he runs the world. He was the fir- first one to say that. In fact, <coughs> an unbelievable Chiddush, it's so, I would say it's not typical, but, but, but that's not correct because it comes from the Meshachachma and it's, it's impossible to say that something's not typical of Meshachachma because who knows what he's going to say. In last week's Parsha, we find in the Brisbane of Basarim, it describes the sun setting. <coughs> the sun was about to set. Says Meshachachma, this is the first time in the Torah that the sun has been called Shemesh. It's not the first time the sun is referred to, but it's the first time it's called Shemesh. In, in Bereshis, we have it a little bit, right? Uh, what is it called then? Hama or Hagadol. The great luminary, which is basically what it is. 
<coughs> Somehow between then and Avram's time, it got a name, Shemesh. And from this point onwards, we're in first name terms. Where did the name Shemesh come from? Meshachachma suggests it was Avram who gave, who gave it that name. But why call it Shemesh? <coughs> because Lishamesh means to serve. And that was Avram's Chiddush. People thought that the, that the, the sun was an object that they should serve. And Avram says, no, the sun and everything similar to it, they themselves are servants. They are shamashim, and it is servant number one. It's called the shemesh. And he goes further and says that the word shemesh actually is an Aramaic word. In Hebrew, <coughs> to serve is lisharet, misharetav. Shamash or lishtamesh is Aramaic. Why would he give it an Aramaic name? Says the Meshachachim, because he started out in Charon, and that's when he developed this idea. And in Charon, they speak Aramaic, and that's why he called it a Shemesh. Stunning comment. Either way, <coughs> this is Avram's Chiddush. And this brings us now to the city of, 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 which was originally called Shalem. It was originally called Shalem, as Ramban explains, because it was Shalem. It was a place of perfection. People knew this was a wonderful place, but they didn't know why. In other words, <coughs> because they'd lost a sight of Hashem's ongoing supervision with the place, they couldn't account for why everything goes so well there, except that it's just a, a perfect place. So they focused on what they perceived as self-contained qualities of the place, otherwise known as Shalem, a place of Shlemus. Along comes Avram, and Avram says, you know why this place is so, is so amazing? Because this is the product of Hashem's most direct supervision. And that's called Hashem Yir'eh. Hashem sees. <coughs> the idea of Hashem seeing, meaning Hashem is directly and most intimately involved with the world in general, the land of Israel in particular, and nowhere more so than, than, than the city that you call Shalem. And that's where the Shalem comes from. It comes from Yir'eh. And in Avram's time, that, that, that for him was the more important point. Ultimately, there's room for both. And if there's room for both, that they become fused in the name Yerushalayim. <coughs> Yerushalayim preserves the shalem, the perfection of the place, but also the reason why. Because Hashem Yir'eh. And always, it is never uh, out of place or amiss. Sha'alu shalom Yerushalayim, to speak in praise of Yerushalayim. And we see that from, from way back when, it was always shalem. Avram came and explained why, and from that point onwards, the rest is history, which is uh, continuing with Yerushalayim in the center. We'll leave it over there for this evening. Wish you all a good evening and a wonderful week ahead. All the best.